Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Good morning. How y'all doing? See, I'm learning. I'm learning. I did find out that uh, in Australia and Texas, we, we do have one word in common, that's reckon. Is that right? You guys say, I reckon we ought to do this, or I reckon we say that back home. So it, it kind of is the same language in a lot of ways. No, but it really is a blessing to be here with you guys. Uh, you know, we just, man, we're falling in love with this church family, and it really is just such a blessing to be here with you. This is our first time in Texas. So I'm, thank you. Thank you. I might just ask my family if they could stand up real quick right now. This is my uh, beautiful wife, Elise. Honey, why don't you just turn around and give everyone a wave. And these are our two amazing boys, uh, Harry and Elijah. And so our, uh, our itinerant ministry is actually called Wood Family Ministries. And so for us, it's, it's such a big deal for us that, uh, that God has called us as a family. You know, God's, I think God's pretty into family. What do you reckon? I, I think he kind of, he designed it really, didn't he? And so, so as, as a family, we have a call from the Lord to, uh, to model family and also to, uh, to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. So as much as we can, we love to travel together as a family. Uh, it, we've been to many different nations together. Actually, one of the nations, Joel mentioned that we, we do a lot in Asia, Asia Pacific. One of the nations that we've been to many times together as a family is Japan. Has anyone here ever been to Japan before? A couple of people, maybe one, two, two people. So uh, that's just a, been an incredible journey ministering in the nation of Japan. And, you know, we've just been seeing God do some amazing things. Uh, actually, uh, the last time that we were there we, uh, as a family was last year. And we were walking around the streets of Tokyo and we had a, a film crew come over and want to interview us to ask us about uh, what we think of Tokyo. And, and they begin to ask questions, you know, what have you done in the city? What, you know, what are the things that you enjoy? And as what always happens, the conversation, you know, I begin to turn it to talk about Jesus. Because when people say, well, why are you here in Tokyo? Well, we're actually here because of Jesus. And they're like, what? Jesus? Who's Jesus? And so, you know, uh, the reality is, is that this isn't just a, a tell gospel. This is a show and tell gospel, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? Jesus said, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And so this is an active gospel. Uh, and so we said, we don't want to just tell you, we want to show you. And it turned out that the, uh, the cameraman had bad knees. And so my boys got down on their knees and prayed for him. And he got healed, miraculously healed on TV. And so, yeah, he was like, wow, how did this happen? And uh, so that's actually the second time um, the Lord's had me be interviewed in Japan on TV. The first time I was on another show, I actually don't even know if this one aired because it was pretty controversial because I grew the, the presenter's leg out um, in Narita Airport in Tokyo. And then um, he got up, he was so shocked, he got up and uh, he said, this is, this is the question he asked me. He said, so tell me, who is Jesus? Is he a good man? And then he put the microphone and the camera in my face. 
And uh, I had just gotten off a flight from Okinawa into Tokyo, and then we were about to head home. And I'm sh- unshaven. I had my cap on, and, and I, I didn't even realize it, but I had like the tag hanging out of my cap. I had hardly slept. Man, I looked like a, what we'd say a bit of a dag. I don't know if you, if you have that word over here. I look like a bit of a dork, and, and, uh, and I'm tired, and, and so they put this camera in my face after his leg grows out on TV. It was amazing, because it just shot out, just like that, and the cameraman, as he's filming, goes, whoa, and, uh, and so tell, who is Jesus? Is he a good man, was the question, and so they put the camera in my face, and I'm like, Holy Spirit, help. <laughs> what do I say right now? The funny thing is, is I really never know what I'm saying. I never know what I'm doing. I like to live by faith. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, the Bible says that. We walk by faith and not by sight. And the, the funny thing is, is that when you begin to live a life of faith, half the time you don't really know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't really make sense because if it made sense, it wouldn't be living by faith, would it? You know what I'm saying? That's what he means when he said that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because when you're walking by sight, you're walking by what you see, what you understand. But when you live by faith, you're actually living by what God sees and what God understands. And God will take you to some crazy places. He'll put you in some crazy situations that doesn't make sense that you can talk yourself out of. Because all the evidence in the world might be mounted up against you and, and you, you know, and, and, and all, all hell might be breaking loose and God will say, I want you to walk through that valley. And it might look like the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll tell you what, if God is calling you through the midst of the storm like He did to Peter, He might be calling you out of the boat and all of your circumstances and everything that you can see might look like wind and waves, it might look turbulent, but Jesus is saying, come to me across the waters. And if you walk by, by sight, you're not going to step out of that boat. But if you walk by faith, you will see the impossible. Mark 9.23 is one of my, my favorite verses. The Lord reminds me like every single day I see 9.23, 9.23, 9.23. Because it says this, that all things are possible to him who believes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? All things. What does all things mean? Everything, anything, whatever you believe, whatever you trust in the Lord, it is possible in the kingdom of God to him who believes. You know, I love that, man. I love to study faith. I love to study the fathers of faith. You know, we look at people like, uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were, who were told that if they do not bow down to this golden image, this statue of Nebuchadnezzar, that they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And I love to study people of faith because do you realize that this is all about faith? Abraham's the father of faith and we are sons of Abraham if we have faith just like he did in God. You know, we, we study out the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham and God promised him uh, around about when he was about 75 years old that he would, be the fa- he would not only have a son, but he would be the father of many nations. And the Bible says that he didn't look at his own body, he didn't consider his own body, naturally speaking, that he was dead. That what God was saying was impossible. 
He didn't look at himself, he didn't look at his circumstances rather, but he believed God and it was what? It was accounted to him for righteousness. And about 25 years went by before the promise was fulfilled. So how many of us have received promises from God or heard God speak to us in the night hours and, and a, a day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, maybe even a couple of years go by, we begin to lose heart because our circumstances don't line up with what God has spoken. You know what I'm saying? But Abraham strengthened himself by faith in God and said, you know what, I'm not going to look at my life, I'm not going to look at my circumstances, I'm not even going to consider my own body, but I believe God because I count Him who promises faithful. Wow, you know, it says in Revelation, it actually names the Lord, it says that His name is faithful and true. And we can have faith in Him because He is faithful. It's easy to have faith in someone who's faithful. He who promised is faithful. You know, I remember one time, actually I was sharing the other night, just a story about the very first time the Lord took me to a nation called Papua New Guinea. Does anyone know where PNG is, Papua New Guinea? It actually sits right above Australia. And, uh, and I went there uh, the very first time, I think it was about 2010, uh, 2011. And uh, the plan was, is I was going to go up into this little town called Mount Hagen, up in the mountains. And I was going to stay in this town with my team. And we were going to minister into this town. And I'd never been there before. I uh, didn't know anyone from there. There was uh, a friend uh, had kind of set this thing up and... and, and and uh, set this uh, time for us to go up. And so we went up and all I knew is that there was a man by the name of Simon who was going to come and pick us up from the airport. So we, we arrive, we fly into Mount Hagen Airport and it's, it's raining and we come out and, and uh, you know, we don't know the people, we don't know the language, never been there before. And we're like, we're trying to find that, our man, Simon. And this man comes up and he's like, hi, my name's Simon you know, shakes all of our hands and he says, we, we, we need to hurry, we need to, be, uh, we need to act quickly. Because it's raining and, uh, and we need to cross the river before it floods. Because if it floods while we're crossing, we're all going to get washed away. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So like we quickly rush out, we get our bags. And, 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 uh, and he said, yeah, he said, we need to get out there because we have to get to this, ri- to this village, to this remote village. And so I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. What, what do you mean this remote village? I thought we were staying here in the town. And he said, oh no, the plans changed. The plans change. You're not staying in the town anymore. I'm taking you to a remote village. So we're getting out of this, this airport with our, our, our bags and we're getting in the back of this truck. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. This, is, this isn't what we agreed to. You know what I mean? I didn't sign up for this. And, uh, and he begins to tell us that he had been a missionary in this remote village and he wanted us to come out and preach, this, preach the gospel in this village. And so, um, you know, that, that kind of felt, made me feel a little uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Never been to this nation, didn't know where they were taking us. This wasn't part of the plan. And sometimes life can look a little like that. You know what I'm saying? We kind of have this idea of like, wow, this is what my life's going to look like. And I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place and a time that we didn't plan to be in. You know what I'm saying? And everything in me, I wanted to say, hang on a minute, Simon. This isn't what we agreed to. I don't want to go out to this village. I want to go to this base. I want to stay there. You know, I could, I could have kind of pushed the point, but I really felt like from the Lord that I just need to go with this. 
So anyway, so we rushed out. We drove for about uh, three hours and, uh, until there was uh, no more road. And then, we, and, and then we walked for about another hour or so through the jungle. And by now it's pouring with rain. And uh, we, we weren't planning on camping at all. So we, some of us had suitcases with wheels and that kind of thing. So we're trying to carry these suitcases through the jungle. And it's pouring with rain. And we get to this, uh, to this river and uh, this river, uh, man, I don't know how wide it was, but maybe for me to the back uh, wall there, and it's rushing really fast. Like it's mo- the water's moving fast, you know what I'm saying? So we get there, and, and, uh, and I have these guys with me on, on the team, and, and I'm sort of in that situation thinking, what on earth am I doing here? Doing, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he's like, quick, we've got to hurry because the, riv- the river's flooding. So we had locals from the village uh, make a human chain across to our side and we're making a human chain and we're trying to cross this river and the water's moving so fast that there's big rocks getting carried down by the river and the hiddenness in the legs. And, and anyway, we get to the other side and the sun's starting to go down and uh, they show us this little hut where we're going to be staying, this grass hut. And uh, we go inside and I'm thinking, oh my goodness me, what on earth have, have I got us into? So I'm like kind of apologizing to my team like, guys, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just, I know this is the Lord and we're just going to go with the flow here. And, and good thing we didn't go with the flow of the, ri- the river. That would have been a little bit of a disaster. Actually, a couple of days ago, uh, Joel took us down to the San Marcos River. I had to share it, bro. I had to share it. And, uh, and so we're floating down. We're floating down this beautiful, peaceful river. It was just amazing, having a great old time. And uh, all of a sudden, we start to see people disappear over the... And I said to Joel, I said, man, this, that could be like a 50-foot drop right there. People are just disappearing and and, uh, and it had been a little while, I think, since he had been down. He's like, no, we should be okay. You know, we'll all go down tied up together. And anyway, we get to the top of this little chute. I, I don't know if it's a little chute or not. I don't remember now. It happened all so quickly. And people are just disappearing down. And so people are shouting out, quickly untie yourself. So we're trying to untie ourselves. Next thing we know, all six of us go down the, the you know, it was like a waterfall. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a, to us, it was a waterfall. Next thing we know, we're all like scrambled and tangled at the bottom and we're under the water and there's people going everywhere and it was a little bit of a disaster to say the least so because we uh we kind of thought that our children had all perished in the water that day and and uh so anyway praise god we're here right now and we're alive and uh but yeah it, it was interesting it was interesting to say the least but um but jesus is amazing you know what i'm saying you know that, that he, he promised in his word in isaiah he said that you'll pass through the waters and not be overcome so praise God, He's faithful because we weren't overcome that day. Even though we thought we had lost our oldest boy, Harry, we couldn't find him. And we're shouting out, Harry, Harry. And, and, uh, but we found him. He was underwater for a couple of minutes there. But anyway, going back to the story. So, so, so we find ourselves in this village, you know, and, and you know, some of us pray these kind of crazy prayers where we're like, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. And next thing we find ourselves in these crazy situations and we're like, oh my gosh, why did I pray that prayer? So, so we're in this village and, uh, and we go to sleep that night and we wake up the next morning and we're actually the first white people to sleep, to stay in that village. So uh, a lot of the adults, many of the adults have been into town and seen white people before, but a lot of kids hadn't. So we wake up the next morning, all the village had come out to welcome us. And there were little kids there that when they saw us and the color of our skins, that they burst into tears. And, and it was a bit of a sight. And the, chief, the tribal chief had come from over these hills, over these mountains, from, from his village to greet us. 
And so he greets us and we're saying hello. And I see this little boy in the background. He has these makeshift crutches. And this is our very first morning in this village. He had these makeshift crutches and he was limping real bad. And uh, he could hardly walk. And I said to the chief, I said, hey, what? tell me this, this boy's story. What happened to this boy? And, uh, and this boy, he tells me, this little boy's name is John. I remember his name now. His name's John. And he and some other boys of the village had tried to climb the mountain, I think it was maybe a year or so prior. And, uh, and there was a landslide, a rock slide. And this, these rocks came and they crushed his leg, his right leg. And it crushed, they cr- these rocks crushed his leg so bad, his leg was totally mangled. And they were so far from medical attention. And even if they could, his parents, I'm sure, couldn't have, couldn't have afforded medical attention. So they just kind of like put his leg back, you know, the way that they thought it should go back, you know, it was like mangled. They just kind of put it back together and wrapped it up. And just trusted that it was going to heal okay. But you know what? His leg was so twisted and so, uh, so beat up that it was maybe about, you know, what, three inches or so shorter than his left leg. And it was all twisted like this and all twisted out to the side. And so he couldn't, this poor little boy couldn't hardly walk probably. He was about eight years old. And I said to the chief, I said, hey, can I pray for this boy? And so, so anyway, so he, he turns and he's talking to this boy. And this boy, you know, he had already felt pretty self-conscious with what was going on in his leg. And all of a sudden, everyone's looking at him. And these strange people, these foreigners are standing there talking, pointing him out in the crowd. So he's getting a little bit self-conscious. But we got him to sit down on this little bench, this little wooden bench out in this kind of courtyard. And uh, he didn't have shoes on, as, you know, a lot of the, the kids, a lot of people over there, you know, they don't walk around with shoes on. And so we're going to sit down and I've got him to put his feet in the palms of my hands and I just commanded his leg to grow in the name of Jesus. And you've got to understand, it's not like, you know, something was out of alignment, whatever, like his bones were just shattered. You know what I'm saying? You know, like it, it wasn't just like God just, you know, brought his hips into alignment. There was like no bone there. And so I commanded his leg to grow. And we actually got this on camera. A couple of the guys filmed this and his leg begins to shake. His right leg begins to shake. And he's saying in his own language, it's shaking, it's shaking, it's moving. And his leg comes, begins to twist like this, his foot twists and his leg comes straight out and matches the other leg. And, uh, and everyone, their, their mind was just blown. And the chief turned around to his people when they saw this because the crowd was just gathered around us. And he said, go out, tell everyone to come to the village. God is here and God is moving in this village. And people began to go out and get people from other villages. And we, we seriously had like revival break out in this little village called Hapwara. And, uh, and, and people came, hundreds of people from near and far. And we saw for about three or four days straight, just constant uh, revival breakout, so many miracles, so many salvation, so many salvations rather. And there were men in the village who were like the toughest, the meanest guys in the village. And they would beat their, their wives and their children. And they were repenting with tears. And there was so much transformation. It was just beautiful and incredible. And it was just, wow, it was wild. So we would go to bed every night and uh, they would all just stay up. There were people just sleeping everywhere, like outside and in the church building. And we would go to bed in our little hut next door. And we would go to bed each night to the sound of people just crying and crying out to God and singing and weeping. And we'd wake up every morning and they'd still be going. And it was just like such a beautiful, such a beautiful sight, you know. And it was at the end of that trip where we were like, man, 
you know what, if, if I kind of push the point and said, no, no, we want to, you know, we want to stay in the town and we want to, then we would never have seen God do those things, you know what I'm saying? But praise God, we went with the flow. Praise God, we listened to the Holy Spirit and we decided to step out of the box and, and do something that we weren't planning on doing because we just saw God just move in such a powerful way. And uh, it's just amazing. It is such an adventure when you follow Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Man, it really is. And uh, I just, there's a word on my heart this morning just to share with you guys. Uh, but before I do, yesterday in prayer, I, I heard this name. It was, it, to me, it sounded like a last name. It could be a name of a company or something else. Um, and I'm just wondering if there's someone in here who this name maybe is your last name or it means something to you. And it was the name Anderson. Is there someone in here with the last name Anderson at all? Is there an Anderson in here? Or maybe that name means something to you? So anyway, I was going to bed last night again. I was just praying to listen to the Lord. And I heard the Lord say, it sounded like he said, Andy's son. Andy's son. And I was thinking, did I mishear that? Was it Andy's son or was it Anderson? Is there someone in here, in here whose father is a man by the name of Andy? Or is there an Anderson? Could you just put your hand up real high if that means anything to anyone in here? Nope. No. What are you saying down here, ladies? Does that mean anything to anyone at all? There's a guy sitting outside. His name's Andrew. Okay. Okay. Does Andrew have any sons? No. Okay. His name's Andrew. Okay. Well, maybe we can pray for Andrew in a minute. This is what I want to do. And uh, I, like I said, I have this word on my heart. And I might just preach this out. And then we're going to pray for people, okay? We're going to pray for, for, for y'all if you want prayer this morning. But um, I, I want us to start in, uh, in the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you just turn to Hebrews chapter 3 with me. And I'm just going to read a, a, a good passage out here in, in Hebrews 3 at the end of Hebrews 3 into the start of uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Then I'm just going to preach it out a little bit, okay? So Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and we're going to read down to chapter 4, verse 10. And, uh, and uh, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my, uh, saw my works 40 years. Just stop there for a minute. You know, we, we look at uh, the children of Israel when they went through the wilderness, you know, in that, that time of trial and testing. You know, it actually says here in the Word of God that it wasn't God testing them. They were testing God. It was their trial against the Lord. Says that where your fathers tested me, tried me, and still saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be uh, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, 
but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be uh, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, uh, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of uh, Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was He angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest some of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Excuse me, but the word which they uh, heard did not profit them. This is so key. The word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it, uh, it was not mixed, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have uh, sorry, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Listen to this. Although the works, uh, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of, uh, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And to those, uh, to those to whom it was first preached, did not enter because of disobedience. Again, uh, He designates a certain day, saying in David, Today... After such a long time, as it has been said, today if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered His rest has himself also ceased from His works, just as God did from His. Now just stop there for a minute. You know, for me, this is so powerful. It says here, it talks about the rest of God. It talks about the rest of God. You know, it's amazing because here we have, you know, Adam and Eve. If we look at the story of creation, if we look at the account of creation, that God actually prepared the earth and planted a garden and he did everything that needed to be done and then he made Adam and Eve and set them in this garden. Everything was prepared for them and all they had to do was enjoy it. Remember the Lord Jesus said to his disciples and to us, he said in, in John chapter 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And then he says, 
No one can come to the Father except through me. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I want you to see with me today that Jesus wasn't just talking about uh, a place in heaven. He wasn't just talking about a room or a mansion in heaven. Because we're, the word there that we've translated is mansion. Where he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. You know that word I'm talking about. It literally means a dwelling place. He's not just talking about, hey, one day we're going to go to some pie in the sky and float on the clouds and play harps and we're all going to have an, a mansion, a house there. What he's talking about, he doesn't say no one can come to heaven except through me. He says no one can come to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus was saying that once upon a time, Adam and Eve, where they entered in, they were born into a place of rest, the rest of God, where everything was given to them. And even the children of Israel, the, the promised land was what was called the land flowing with milk and honey. Think with me for a minute. Where does milk come from? The milk that they would drink. Most of us, we might drink cow's milk, you might drink almond milk. You know what I mean? Like we drink almond milk a lot and you know, I often feel sorry for those poor little almonds that get milked every day to produce so much milk. I, I don't even know how they do it, man, but take a bit of faith to milk almonds, I guess. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Milk doesn't come from us, does it? Like it, technically the milk he was talking about, he's talking about a lot, a lot of times in those days, actually they drunk goat's milk. Honey, do we make honey? No, we don't even make honey. Honey is made by bees. So what's the picture of the promised land? It's this land where it's not about your works. It's a land where it's a, there's a sufficiency that comes from God. You know what I'm saying? He tells him, you're going to enter into this land and you're going to inherit houses. You're going to inherit vineyards that you didn't plant. You're just going to move right in and everything is there for you. That's just a picture of grace. You know, the promised land is actually a type and a shadow of what I call the promised life of the new covenant. You know what I'm saying? A land where everything's prepared for us and we just get to come on in and enjoy what we didn't work for ourselves. So what Jesus is talking about, I go to prepare a place for you. What's the place? A place back in relationship and community and communion with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, I love it. In, in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus actually gives us His definition of eternal life. Do you know that? He's praying to the Father and He says, And this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, eternal life isn't this mansion in a, in, a, in, a, in a zip code called heaven. It's actually, eternal life starts the day where you enter into fellowship and relationship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Man, I'm not waiting to go to heaven. Heaven's already come down and His name is Jesus and He lives inside of me. And He's the King of kings and where the King goes, His kingdom goes too. That's why he told us, he said, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, heal the sick in Luke 10 and tell them, you know what? The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. How is the kingdom drawn near? How has it come upon them? Because as we go, the kingdom goes too. You realize that we are carriers of the kingdom of heaven. Man, that ought to be some good news right there. You know what I'm saying? Wow. 
Now, I love this because it's, it, it's so crystal clear in the Word of God. You know, when Jesus hung on that cross that day and He died for you and me, I love what Joel, Joel said before. The truth is, is that He got what we deserved so that we could get what He deserved. He became what we were so that we could become as He is. You know what I'm saying? The Bible teaches us that He became sin. God made Him who knew no sin, not just to carry sin, but to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This gospel is all about understanding who we have become. John chapter 1, it says this, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to His own and His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right. And in, in the Greek, that word means the privilege, the authority, the ability to become something. It doesn't say to those who received Him, to them He gave the right to go to some place called heaven when they die, even though that's all a part of the package, that was never the focus of Jesus. Do you realize that? He said to them He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but born of God. Man, I will never get sick of this truth. You know why? Man, this is life to me. You know what? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. You know what? You know what, guys? Who you were prior to Christ in the eyes of heaven and the reality of heaven does not even exist anymore. I want to tell you that person does not exist anymore. When someone dies amongst us, some, one of the phrases that we would use is say that this person has passed away. Is that right? What does that mean? They're not here anymore. They're not amongst us anymore. They've passed away. Who you were prior to Christ has passed away, is not alive, does not exist anymore. And it says that we have been born of God, born in His image and in His likeness. You see, because God finished His works right at the start of time, and because of uh, the, the curse of sin and death, Adam and Eve stepped out of that place. They stepped out of a place of eternal life. They stepped out of this place of fellowship with Him and walking in their true identity, and by believing the enemy instead of God, by believing the words of the enemy instead of the words of God, they essentially exalted the enemy. It said, you're God. What your word is saying is true. What God's saying is false. That's essentially what they did was bow the knee to the voice of the stranger. And by doing so, they took on the image and the nature of God's enemy. And that image is the image of selfishness. See, I preach this everywhere I go. You know what? People say the opposite of love is hate. I actually don't believe that's true at all. I believe that the opposite of love is self. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You know why? Because we were never created to live for ourselves. The truth is this. 
is that self does everything it can at the cost of others to preserve and to benefit itself. That's what Adam did. The first words out of his mouth after the fall. When God said, guys, what happened? What did you do? He said, well, you know what? It was the woman that you gave me, God. He was willing to shift the blame on his wife and even onto God to say, you know what? I'm a victim in this. And the truth is, is some of us even here today still go through life, even our Christian life, feeling like we are the victim. Focused on ourselves instead of realizing that we've been born into a new image. And that's the image of love. You see, because like I said, self does everything it can at the cost of others to preserve and benefit itself. But love does everything it can at the cost of itself to preserve and to benefit others. See, where the first Adam failed, the second Adam reigned victorious. The first Adam was willing to cut off his wife, who he was one with in the flesh, and he was willing to cut off God and say, you know what, God, I, this would never happen unless you, if, if you hadn't given me this woman. God, who is one within the Spirit, when Jesus came on the scene, and he did what the first Adam couldn't do, so that once again we could come back into a place where we can be born again. Come on, man. That is good news right there. That's the gospel, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, Jesus, when he hung on that cross, at the end of his days, what did he say? He said two, two statements. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then when he gave up his ghost in his last breath, he said these words, and then he is still crying it today. He's crying it to his church because he wants us to understand what he has done. He hung on that cross and he said, it is finished. It's finished, guys. You know what? Sometimes we pray and in our hunger and our zeal for God, we're crying out, God, come down. God, do this. I want to tell you something today that God has done everything that God needed to do. Jesus has finished his works, and now he's waiting for us to believe it. Jesus has completed his work in us. We've been born of God. Everything that is not of God doesn't even exist anymore. The problem is, is we don't see ourselves like that. The problem is, is we look at our circumstances, and we see problems, we see trials, we see sickness, we see pain and suffering, and we weigh ourselves, and we weigh life, and we weigh God through stuff, instead of weighing God through His Word, and by the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? You know, I love it, it's so complete. I want you to turn with me right now to, uh, to John chapter 8. You guys following me Okay. John chapter 8. I'm kind of getting a little bit excited here. I don't know if you can tell that right now. It's a good thing I haven't just walked straight off this platform. Uh, I'm always getting in trouble for pacing. I tend to pace a little bit when I get a little excited. But John chapter 8. And I want us to look at this in the Word of God because it is so crystal clear. Crystal clear. John chapter 8 and in verse 37 of 37. Here we are. Here, actually, here we go. Look, should we start there, Lord? No, let's start back in verse uh, 31. So what, right now we're going to read a little passage here, and, and I'm sure every one of us, there's two scriptures here that every one of us have heard preached. 
You know, sometimes people just shout it as like a victory cry, but I want us to look at in context what the Lord Jesus is saying here. In verse 31, he says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Just stop there for a minute. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus unless you abide in his word. If you abide in my word, the Lord said, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know what? We cannot find the truth in philosophy. We cannot find the truth in any other place, in our good ideas or our opinions, our religion, our tradition, our denomination. The truth has been revealed and His name is Jesus. See, truth is an information. Truth is a person. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, "Uh, I, I know the way and I have the truth. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. He is the truth. He is the life. Man, that all excites you this morning. Because he says this, if you abide, if you live in his words, if you stay in his word, the words of Jesus, not just our programs, not our, just our ministries and our methods, unless it's rooted and grounded in the life, in the person, in the teaching of Jesus Christ and the reality of who he is, then it's just another good idea and it will not produce freedom. Because he said, if you abide in his word, in that place, then you will know the truth. And when you discover and see and reveal, uh, and the the truth is revealed through Jesus Christ, then you will be free. He says this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you realize, even though Jesus Christ is the truth, no, not everyone's walking in freedom, guys. There's many Christians who even love the Lord, but aren't walking in freedom. Why is this? You know what I'm saying? Truth by itself doesn't just inherently make people free. In the same way that you might have a bar of soap in your bathroom, but unless you apply that bar of soap, it ain't going to make you clean. You know what I'm saying? You can look at it all day long. You can tell your friends, hey, I've got a bar of soap in my bathroom. But unless you apply that bar of soap, it will not make you clean. Unless you abide in the word of Jesus Christ, you will not discover the truth. And I'm telling you, it is the truth that has been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ that will set you free. This amazes me because this is their response here in, uh, in verse 33. They answered him, uh, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. No, I, I think they were kind of missing the whole point of the captivity in Egypt there, so I, I don't really know what they were thinking right there, because actually, no, they were in bondage, you know what I'm saying? 300 years they were in bondage. But they're saying, you know, they're kind of boasting right now, well, we're Abraham's descendants. It's like they were saying, you know, we're God's children. And Jesus said, you know what? If you were God's children, you would love me because I've come from God. They're saying, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. Who do you think you are? We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you say you will be made free? Now Jesus is going to 
define this for them. He's going to explain this for them. And he is so crystal clear right now. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So what freedom is he talking about right now? What bondage is he talking about? The bondage of sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free. What? Indeed. If the son makes you free, if the son makes you a son, then guess what? You get to abide in the house forever. And if the son sets you free... He doesn't say you're going to be 20% free, 50% free, not even 99.9% free. See, I love this. You know, sometimes you go out and you buy like uh, hand soap and these kind of things, and it'll have this little thing, disclaimer on it. It'll say, kills 99.9% of the germs, you know, that kind of thing. So what are they trying to say? They're trying to give themselves a little out just in case you get some germ. They go, well, hey, that was the 0.01% germ. Sorry, you know, we told you it doesn't kill 100%. I want to tell you today that if you abide in Jesus Christ and His words abide in you, if you've been baptized in the Christ Jesus, then you are free indeed. Free indeed means completely free, totally free, free in every single sense of the word. You know, the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and he preached the gospel, he says, believe and be baptized for the remission of sins. You know, that word remission doesn't just mean the removal of. It literally means freedom from. Did you know that? If you're baptized in a Christ Jesus, the Bible teaches us so clear. You can study it out even in Romans 6, especially 6, 7, and 8. It says that if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Come on. It says that if we have been baptized into Christ. Man, that is some good news right there. If the Son sets you free... You shall be free indeed. That's just not just free to sing some songs. Even though I love to sing, that's not just free to dance and to feel, you know. He is talking about a life of freedom. Freedom from sin and from everything that would bind us, everything that would hold us back. You know, the truth is this, is that sickness and the devil had a right to our lives because of sin. You know what I'm saying? The truth is, is that if Jesus dealt with the cause, if He dealt with, with the root of this thing, if He dealt with sin in our lives, then no longer should sin, uh, sickness, the devil, any of these things had, should have power over our lives. Once and for all. And He hung on that cross and said, It is finished. That's a powerful truth right there. If only we would believe it. I want you to turn, flip back a few pages right now to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And this is what it says in John chapter 3 in, in verse 14. And uh, this is a, obviously a real famous passage, but I just really want to keep hitting this thing from a few different angles right now. It says this in John chapter 3, in verse 14. Uh, 
It says, and as, this is the Lord Jesus talking, He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, so in the same way, must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, Jesus said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. I've heard people shout that out, like if we just lift His name up in song and worship. You know, that's actually not what the Lord is talking about. When He's lifted up, He likens Himself here to the bronze serpent in Numbers chapter 21. You guys familiar with that passage? It says that the children of Israel, Numbers 21, we won't turn there right now, I'm just going just to preach it out to you. Numbers 21, the children of Israel groaned and complained and they sinned against God. And the Bible says the fiery serpents came and began to bite them. Poisonous serpents began to bite them. People began to die. People were poisoned. And they said to Moses, Moses, would you go and plead to God on our behalf? Because we have sinned against you and against God. And I just love the response of God. Because he said this to Moses. He said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. This is the remedy for sin. This is the remedy for sickness. This is the remedy for rebellion. He said, I want you to make a bronze serpent and hang it on a pole and put it in the center of the camp. Why would he say that? Why did he say that? Because those people knew that according to the law of God, that whatever hung from a tree was considered cursed by God. That's why Judas, when he, after he had betrayed the Lord, what did he do? He went and hung himself from a tree. That's why Jesus Christ, he was hung from a tree. He became a curse so that we could become free. And this is the response of God. This is, this is what God required of the children of Israel. It says that as many of them that came before that Paul and saw this thing hanging on a tree, it says that as many of them looked and saw this bronze serpent hanging from a tree, it says that they were healed. Why? Because they saw that God had cursed the very thing that had brought a curse upon them. God is saying, I have dealt with this thing, now go free. Wow, it's powerful. You know what their sin was? You know what they said? When they grumbled against God, they said that you have brought us out into this wilderness to die. And they said out of their own mouth that our soul loathes this worthless bread. Every day in the wilderness, every day they would open up their tent and manna, bread from heaven, would be on the ground all around them. This bread that came down from heaven to sustain them, to feed them, to keep them in good health. And it wasn't before long that they began to loathe it. Because if you've got manna outside your tent, if you're not valuing this thing, this, this bread that came down from heaven, if you're not picking it up and valuing it, treating it as something that was sent from God, if you're not valuing it and consuming it, what are you doing? You open up your tent flap and what do you do when you go outside? You step on this bread. You trample it underfoot and count it as worthless. And they began to complain and say, this bread is not enough, God. Send quail, give us meat. This bread isn't enough. And still today in the church, we do it without even realizing it. And Jesus said, I am the true bread which comes down from heaven. 
And through philosophy, through our own wisdom and understanding that isn't the wisdom from above, we actually consider Jesus without even realizing it as worthless and we trample him underfoot because we're saying, you know what? The blood of Jesus isn't enough for me. That's what we do. That this bread that came down from heaven isn't enough. I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ paid every single price that needed to be paid. Every single price, every single scar, every single wound, every single whip mark on his back is enough not only to to remove and to set us free from every sin and the weight of sin, the weight of death, but to set us free from every disease, from every every, uh, sickness, from every pain, from every, everything, from all of sin and the fruit of sin. Because you realize that sickness and disease came as the fruit of sin. And if we'll look to Jesus Christ, who was likened unto that bronze serpent on the pole, and we realize that God cursed sin, God cursed disease, God cursed those things which were killing us, which were destroying us, which had us under their control. And as we look to Him, and we realize that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, then this incredible transaction takes place that we become the righteousness of God in Him. I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ is enough for you and me. Everything, every problem that we may be facing even right now, whether it's problems in our lives, in our bodies, in our families, struggles with sin or temptation, all of these things. Some of you may feel beat up and beat down by the devil. I want to tell you today that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough for you. It doesn't matter where you are. David said, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? If I make my bed in heaven, behold you there. He says, even if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there also. Where can I flee? Where can I go from your presence? I want to tell you today that you could be having a good time. You could be going through hell. You could feel like you're up in the heavens. You could feel like that you're living in the pits of hell. You could feel like that you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus is able to reach you and to touch you and to rescue you, to save you, to set you free, to heal you. No matter where you are in life right now, the blood of Jesus is enough for you and for me. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. The work of God is sufficient. Jesus Christ has finished and completed His work. And the only request from heaven is for us to believe. For us to see it and to believe it. Man, Jesus Christ, He is Amazing. He is amazing.